So, after 80 years of preparation, God decided it was time for Moses to start work. The word exodus means exit or departure, and it did actually happen. The exodus of the Israelites from Egypt is thought to have been in 1446 BC. This story is very remarkable, but also quite challenging in a way, because it makes us think quite hard about who God is and why he does what he does. We need to remember that these pharaohs were not a pleasant family. Remember that the Israelites were in Egypt in the first place because Joseph, under God's direction, had saved Egypt and all the surrounding nations from famine. This lot had forgotten all about that. The current pharaoh's grandpa is thought to be Amos, who founded the 18th dynasty of the pharaohs. And he expelled all the Jews that were in a leadership position in Egypt. He and his son Thutmose III attempted to wipe out all the Israelite race by killing all the baby boys. And they had the Israelites enslaved. Thutmose had a long reign, but we're told in Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 that he died and was replaced by the current pharaoh, who is thought to be Amenhotep II. And he persisted in oppressing the Israelites and generally making their lives a total misery. As the story progresses, we see that God is giving Pharaoh more and more opportunities to recognize and respect him. But Pharaoh is too proud to acknowledge God and to repent. So let's have a very brief look at the progression of the different miraculous signs or plagues, and then we'll think about what it tells us. Firstly, Pharaoh asks for a miracle to determine Moses and Aaron's authority. And Aaron's snake was a bigger and better snake than the snakes produced by Pharaoh's magicians, and it ate them up. And then, as we read in chapter 7, verse 13, Pharaoh's heart became hard. Then Moses and Aaron met Pharaoh at the river early in the morning. And we don't know whether he'd gone down to the river to bathe or whether he'd gone to worship the river god, Hapi. But either way, Moses was there waiting. At God's command, the river became blood, as well as all the waterways and reservoirs, and also the water in buckets and jars. Some of the commentators reckon that the plagues were caused through natural phenomena. I don't think that's really important. God might have used the natural elements if he wanted to, The miraculous thing is the timing, that all these things happened exactly when Moses said they would. And he even allowed Pharaoh to choose the time of the frog's departure, and the timing still happened exactly right. So how these things happened is not the most important question. What's really important is why. The sorcerers also managed to make water that looked like blood, You might think it would be more in the national interest to make the river water clean rather than to make more polluted water, but maybe that was beyond them. And it was the same with the frogs. You know, when there were frogs in the ovens and the kneading troughs, so probably in the bread as well, and in people's beds and all over the place, it would have been better for the people if the magicians had made less frogs rather than more, but that's not what happened. After the water became like blood, Pharaoh's heart became hard in chapter 7, verse 22. And then again, 
After the frogs in chapter 8, verse 15, Pharaoh hardened his heart. When we get to the gnats, the magicians couldn't make them. And in chapter 8, verse 19, they recognized the power of God and told Pharaoh. But his heart was hard and he took no notice. Moses met Pharaoh again at the river and warned him about the flies coming. And these weren't just house flies. These were nasty, biting, disease-carrying flies. And this time, there were no flies in Goshen, where most of the Israelites lived. The Israelites were treated differently from this point onwards. Now, this is significant because people thought that a nation's gods could only operate in their own country. But God Almighty is showing that he is international and he can do exactly what he likes, where he likes. Again, Pharaoh hardened his heart in chapter 8, verse 32, as soon as the flies had gone. After the plague on cattle, we're told again in chapter 9, verse 7, his heart was unyielding. After the plague of boils, though, we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. After this, in chapter 9, verse 13, Moses is told to get up early, again, and to confront Pharaoh. God points out that he could have wiped Pharaoh and all of Egypt off the face of the earth, but that he's kept Pharaoh alive so that he can see the power of God and so that God's name may be made known in all the world. We can see at this point that some of Pharaoh's officials are taking notice of God because they take their cattle and slaves indoors to avoid the hail, but some of them are just ignoring him. During the hail, Pharaoh summons Moses and says, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. But he soon forgets his penitence as soon as the thunder and hail stop. The beginning of chapter 10 is interesting because it explains a bit of God's thinking. He says, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart so that I may perform these signs and so that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and so that you, that's you plural, you all may know that I am the Lord. Moses, on behalf of God, via Aaron, says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? If you refuse to let them go, I will send the plague of locusts tomorrow. So a warning is given. Again, there was a warning before the flies as well. But there is time to repent and react, to change the course of events and prevent disaster. Pharaoh's officials seem to be getting the message because they suggest letting the people go. But Pharaoh wants to be in control and to be obstructive. So the locusts came and demolished everything except in Goshen. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart And he wouldn't let them go. Again, after the plague of darkness, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he wouldn't let them go. When we read Old Testament stories like these, and some of them are really great stories, the important thing we need to ask is what can we learn about God from this? So here are five things I think we can learn. Firstly, God is not to be messed with. He is almighty, all-powerful, and holy. 
If we hear him telling us to do something, we need to make sure that we don't harden our hearts or our ears and that we do what he says. Jonah learned this lesson in a really painful way. If we disobey God, we will be unhappy and unpeaceful. If he's the Lord of our lives, we need to be obedient to him, even if, like Jonah, we think it's a bad idea. Secondly, his timing is not our timing. In chapter 3, verse 23, we're told that God heard the groaning of the Israelites in their slavery. Well, they'd been groaning for quite a long time by then. And in verse 25, that he was concerned about them. Yet it was still quite a long time before anything happened to help them. And initially, things got worse before they got better. I'm not going to begin to pretend to understand why God sometimes seems to take so long to answer our prayers. We just have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. And that, as Paul says in Romans 8:28, in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. Thirdly, God can do amazing signs and wonders, whether he uses natural phenomena with amazing timing or whether he starts from scratch, and he still does them today. Fourthly, God uses particular people at particular times for particular tasks. He used Moses, even though he was a bit reluctant to start with. He used Pharaoh. Perhaps nobody else would have been quite stubborn enough. Although we are told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh had done an awful lot of hardening his own heart beforehand. And as we saw earlier, he really wasn't a very nice person. Not only was he making life impossible for the Israelites, he could also see the damage being inflicted on his own people They'd suffered dreadfully in all this saga, from discomfort, from illness, from loss of cattle and crops, yet he still chose to oppose God and refused to humble himself and let things get even worse for them. Pharaoh had lots of opportunities to change course, but he chose not to. Isaiah 26 verse 10 says, When grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they still go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lastly, God looks after his people. He calls Israel his firstborn son in chapter 4, verse 22. But he also wants to call people from all over the world to to himself. Which is why in chapter 9, verse 16, he says to Pharaoh, I have let you live so that I may show you my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So already, before the Israelites have even got to the promised land, and ages before Jesus came to earth, God is thinking more widely of all the people in the earth that he wants to call to himself. So in summary, God is God and we need to keep our hearts soft to him. God's timing is not our timing. God does signs and wonders still. God uses particular people at particular times. And God looks after his people. 
Let's just bow our heads to pray.